We are wrapping up a series that we've been looking at for the last few weeks about this major figure in the Old Testament named Elijah. Major prophetic figure. Some might say the prophetic figure, maybe the prophet, but certainly one of the major ones. And this is the passage when he, his life here comes to an end. He goes to heaven in this very singular way. So we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the bulletin. That's the passage I'm preaching from. It's been a long time since I got emotionally invested in American Idol. Plan to keep it that way. But years ago, kind of on the earlier end when it was still cool and people watched it more, um, there was a there was a woman, young woman, one of the contestants, and you know, if you get far into the process, you're not a bad singer. And it, so they, they get incredible talent every year and all these other ones, The Voice and America's Got Talent. But this woman, I remember years later, she just had, you know, what they used to call a million-dollar voice. I guess you'd say a, a hundred-million-dollar voice now. But just flawless control, pitch perfect. Knew when to come on, knew when to back off, knew how to do power, knew how to do soft. And on top of that, she just seemed like very humble and personable. Did not come across like the, the diva. And so just every performance, she would crush it. And after she crushed it, she's standing before the judges and they would just praise her. And, and, and every time she acted like it was the first time she had ever been complimented, for singing, she'd just be like, really? Thank you so much. So finally, about mid-season, it gets to Simon. And in his Simon way, he says, okay, you need to stop doing that. Because if you don't know how good you are by now, you need to know how good you are. Do you know how good you are? So, so stop acting like you're shocked to hear that. You have an amazing talent. And what he was, what he was calling her to was, you know, be, be self-aware of, of how unique you are. If there had been a Simon Cowell in Israel, which is a line of thought I had never pursued until <laughs> just this week. If there had been a Simon Cowell in Israel, and if he had spoken with Elijah, I, I have to think he would have said to the prophet Elijah, do you realize that you are the biggest thing since Moses? And if you've been here for this series, you've already, you've already heard some of this that the, the, the cluster of miracles, supernatural signs that have surrounded Elijah. Now, there have been some other miracles, but the Bible's not really full of miracles being done all the time. There really are sort of cluster periods where a lot of miracles, a lot of supernatural signs happen. And Elijah's ministry is a major one. It's the biggest one since Moses. And in this passage, you know, spoiler, in this passage, his life comes to an end. And this is the man that God has provided to do some singular things. I'll go back through some of them in a minute. But as, uh, as Jonathan Davis, I think, pointed out in the very first study in this series, this is an awful time in Israel's history. I mean, people that are descended from Abraham are, are either bowing down to Baal or Asherah, or they're sort of coming up with this uh, syncretism of a little bit of worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a little bit of worship of the Canaanite gods, kind of dabble in different stuff, get your own mix. 
and they're being hard-hearted, and they're not listening to the prophets. That's what their children are growing up with. I mean, we're just praying for children grown up in the knowledge of the Lord. That's not happening with the children of this generation. And God provides this man, Elijah, to speak into it, and not only to speak into it, but to do these public, amazing signs to say God is real, and he hasn't forgotten who he is, and he hasn't forgotten who you are. And so I I would have to believe that for his successor, Elisha, it would, and probably for other people, it would feel like, wow, if there's anybody that we can't do without right now, it's Elijah. But Elisha seems to know Elijah's time is coming to a close. What do you do when the person you can't part with departs? You know, what do you do when, uh, when the irreplaceable person has to be replaced? And I'm going to bring this up in a second. But, you know, some of you have someone in your life where you just sort of can't picture your Christian life without that person. That when I have been weak, she has been strong. When I didn't know the words to pray, he knew just what to pray. When I felt like that evil was beating me about the head and shoulders, uh, he or she was my warrior. So they feel indispensable. What if that person goes? What do you do when the indispensable person leaves? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, <clears throat> excuse me, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives... And as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If, if you've ever been on the Swamp Rabbit Trail, I hope you have. It's really a great thing in our area. And if you've ever been in the downtown heading north, so going up toward Traveler's Rest, while you're still in the city, underneath a, a railroad trestle, there's a monument beside the trail. And the monument has the likeness of Franklin D. Roosevelt on it. And if, if you've never seen this, you should, really should stop and read the account. The monument is there because when FDR died in April of 1945, he, he died down in Warm Springs, Georgia. And his funeral train left from Warm Springs and made its way up to D.C. And it stopped, I think, for about 20 minutes in Greenville. And people who were there, you know, eyewitnesses said that at least 15,000, maybe 20,000 people, when this was a much smaller town, came out to meet the train and uh, stood in silence as it, as it stopped and, I guess, refueled. Soldiers lined the tracks from the Greenville station for one mile to the north and one mile to the south. Can you imagine all those soldiers? And then the train pressed on to D.C., and I think it's hard for us to, to, in our cultural moment and in our political moment, to, to relate to what it must have felt like to have this sort of a titan figure. He had been elected president for the fourth time. He had been president in the Great Depression. He had taken them almost all the way through World War II. You know, it was like a month shy of Victory Over Europe Day and a few months shy of Victory Over Japan Day. But he died and didn't get to see those. Uh, what, uh, you know, my, my father grew up under FDR. And even in an older man, there was just a sense of back, back when a president seemed like a president. And he dies. I think it's hard for us to relate to what do you do when the hero, the titan, the leader goes in your time of need? And again, I, I think for this time in Israel's history, to a devout Israelite, who were not in the majority at this point, they, ha- they must have felt something even stronger for Elijah. The culture's going insane. We're forgetting who we are. Even when God does miracles through Elijah in front of us, we're forgetting who God is and who we are, what's going to become of us, what's going to become of our children. Wow, this sure is a time where we need Elijah. And like right then, God takes him. 
and raises up a successor. And this is the history of God's people. You know, the history of God's people, well, let me put it this way. I heard somebody define a saint this way, and I've shared this definition with you because I think it's really helpful. A saint is not someone who does great things for God. A saint is someone for whom God does great things. And so God will raise up people. He will do great things for them. He will do great things through them. And then their time closes, and they go. They all go. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you this morning to think about somebody in your life, now maybe not miracles, but a mentor, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a youth director, a pastor that has impacted you. They're temporal. We're all temporal, but they're temporal. So here's what I want to think about this morning is the temporal and the eternal. All right? The temporal and the eternal. Uh, Elijah is temporal. What do we need to say about that? Well, I, you know, I, just to underscore this, God takes people whom God uses, and God takes people whom we love. God takes people whom God uses, and God takes people whom we love. God has used Elijah. I'm not going to go through all the things that we've talked about, but he's a man. In the New Testament, James says he was a man like us. Same DNA, descended from Adam. But God used him. He could pray that it not rain, and it didn't rain for years. He could pray that it does rain, and then it rains so hard, he has to tell somebody, you better get going in your chariot, or those wheels are not going to turn in the mud. He could pray for a boy who's dead to live again when there's no prior account of a resurrection in the Bible. And the boy lives. He could pray for fire to come from heaven and consume an offering to show, not that he's the man, but to show that God is God. And there's more stories besides those. God has used Elijah. But, but don't miss this point. He's also a man who's loved. Elisha shows this affection for him. How do you see it? I mean, do you, did you hear these refrains that are in this passage where Elijah will say, well, I'm going on to such and such area, and Elisha, I need you to stay here. And he says, I will, I will not leave you. As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And Elijah goes to the next place. I need you to stay here, and I'm going to press on. I will not leave you. Next place. I've got to press on. I will not leave you. And did you catch the part? It's, it's almost comical, but it's too serious to be comical, where he, know, <clears throat> he knows this is the day that Elijah is leaving, and Elisha sees these sons of the prophets come out of these different towns, and they say, now you know, some people always have to be this way, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, you know that today is the day that the Lord takes your master from you. And it really, it reads like an eyewitness account where he says, I know, I don't want to talk about it. But then you really see it when Elijah is taken from him. And I don't know what your mental picture is. It's, it's a passage with tons of mystery. Chariots of fire, horses of fire, but it says he goes up in a whirlwind. I don't know how to mentally picture it. I don't think it's like a fire... Santa's, you know, sleigh, and he opens the fire door and gets in and, you know, and take off. I, it's just, it's full of mystery. In Hebrew, it just says it's like a, a tempest from heaven. 
But when it happens, you know, Elisha screams, My father, my father! And you can miss this part because of the optics of the chariots of fire. But look into the second part of verse 12. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into pieces. You know, cultures all over the world do this. We're the ones who are not very good at grief, but just rend my garments because my heart is rent. And he does that because his spiritual father is gone. So he, he loves him. God takes people that he uses. God takes people that he loved. You know, I don't have to, for many of you, review all the ways that God used Moses. But, you know, when Moses left, Israel mourned and wept for 30 days. I don't think everybody liked him at that level, but some people did. And God took him, and it shrouded in mystery. God buried him on Mount Nebo, and nobody knows where. So I want to connect the dots from this titan being taken by God to our lives. Again, I don't think I'm going to be describing somebody that you've seen do miracles. But if you're here and you are a believer, again, I don't assume everybody is, but if you are, there probably has been somebody in your life that when you think about your Christian life, you can't picture that person not being there to help you, to teach you, to encourage you, to, to spur you on, to pray when you're weak. It could be a young life leader. It could be a youth director. It could be some mentor at some key point in your life. It could be a grandparent. It could be a parent. You know, when I was weak, she was strong. When I was about to go under, he was the lifeline. When I didn't know what to say to God, they knew just what to say to God. Now, here, two things. Number one, if God has raised up a person like that for your life, you are blessed. It's really a gift from God for somebody to be in your corner and to speak into your life, love you, keep up with you, pray for you, spur you on. That's an amazing gift. So I don't want that to go unsaid. But here's the second thing. No one can be your connection to God. You know, Billy Graham, rest in peace, was probably the one who, who made this expression famous. Now, he may have borrowed it, but he made it famous because he was Billy Graham. That God doesn't have any grandchildren. And you get what he's saying. God has many children, many sons, many daughters. He has one natural son and all these adopted sons and daughters. But no grandchildren. No one related to him through one of the children. And that really is a question for all of us to ask. Am I connected to God? Or am I connected to the person who's connected to God? Is this person my encouragement in my relationship with God, or is this person how I relate to God? Because here's the thing. Everybody's temporal. Everybody's temporal. No one can be your eternal lifeline to God in this life. You know, I've shared this story with some of you, but a friend of mine 
shared with me about going to an Ash Wednesday service, you know, at the beginning of Lent. And he had not grown up in a tradition that did that, so it was really new to him. And uh, so he went with his wife, and it's when they were a young couple. Proceeded up front, and you know how the ritual, if you haven't been, you've seen it, you know, the, the ashen cross is put on the forehead. And uh, so it's put on him, it's put on her. And they went back to their pew and sat down. He said, he looked over at his wife, and he said, okay, this was not new information. I knew this factually, but what I experienced when I looked over there is she's going to die. She will become ashes and dust. Am I connected to God or am I connected to the person who's connected to God? Beware the latter. Because all our mentors, all our parents, all our grandparents, all pastors are temporal. So what's eternal? And I can feel the Sunday school answer. Um, God, okay, true. This is true. But let's, let's see if we can put kind of a fine point on that, all right? First off, look at, look at what is here for the seeing, if we'll see it. Look in verse 7. It says that 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, from Elijah and Elisha, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Now, that's really important. Because if you've been here just a few weeks ago, we were looking at this scene where Elijah is, is under this broom tree, and he's saying to God, just kill me. Because I'm the only one that's left. And I've tried to be faithful, and i tried to protect other prophets, but Jezebel is killing them, and she's coming after me. So why don't you just kill me because I'm the only prophet left? And you look up, and as Elijah is about to literally go to heaven, God is already raising up this new generation of, of men who speak for him. The sons of the prophets. But he's raising up, he's raised up Elijah's successor. Look in verse 9. When they had crossed the Jordan River, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, that expression, double portion, it doesn't so much mean, I want your Elijah magic, but I want a double amount of your Elijah magic. It's an Israelite way of talking. The inheritance that a father would give to the firstborn son was the double portion. And in a sense, he's speaking like a spiritual son to his spiritual father. I want what you have to come to me so that I can be your successor. Well, look down in verse 14. You know, will that happen or not? Elijah is taken away. Verse 14 then he, Elisha, took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And by the way, this thing about parting the water, if you've got any biblical background, what that might have made you think of is Moses parting the Red Sea. But there's another episode that this is much more of a parallel. It's when the Israelites came to the Jordan River 
coming out of the wilderness after all those years, they're about to go into the promised land, the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land, Jordan River. And God stops the water upriver and they walk across the Jordan on dry land. That had not happened, I was going to say since Moses. Moses is gone since Joshua. But it happens for Elijah and it happens for Elisha. What is God saying? The ministry continues. The ministry of the Word goes on. Now, it's tempting to kind of stop there and say, hey, look, even when our mentors die, pastors die, grandparents die, best Christian friend die, the ministry of the Word goes on. That's true. But we're looking at what's eternal. And you know, there's going to come a day when there's no more need for the ministry of God's Word. The verbal ministry of the Word. There's going to come a great judgment. And after that judgment, I'm unemployed. Pastors are unemployed at that point. So what's eternal? Go back to verse 9. Because I want you to see this detail. Right before he's taken away, Elijah says to Elisha, What shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha says, Please let there be a double portion, now get this, of your spirit on me. And I want you to think about this. The, the reason that Elijah seemed indispensable to Elisha from Elisha's point of view, was because Elijah had the spirit of Elijah. What made Elijah seem indispensable was some kind of unseen Elijahness, And so he asks for that. This is where it's really advantageous that we have the New Testament. Why was Elijah Elijah? Why was he used the way he was used? Was it because of his Elijahness? Was it because he had the spirit of Elijah? It was because he had the spirit of God. It's because he had the spirit of the living God upon him. And that same spirit fell upon Elisha and he did great things too. It wasn't Elijahness, it was Godness. If you're sitting here thinking, I don't understand how that's relevant to me. It is incredibly relevant to you. And maybe we can hear this with new, new ears this morning. The night that Jesus is going to be arrested, taken into custody, put through this kangaroo court, and the next day tortured and crucified and killed, as he's pouring out his heart to his followers, listen to what he says. This is from John 16. He says, I'm, I'm going to leave you. Now, if there's any ultimate hero titan in the Bible, the ultimate, it's not Moses. It's not Elijah. It, from the Christian's point of view, it's Jesus. And Jesus told his followers, I'm going away. I'm going to my Father in heaven. And then here's what he says. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I mean, can you imagine 
if you're an apostle and you've lived with Jesus for three years and you don't know how the Gospels turn out because they haven't been written yet. And Jesus, the miracle worker, the teacher, God in the flesh says, okay, now I'm leaving. Your heart would break. And their heart did break. He says, I can tell that your hearts are filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he's talking about the Helper, him, he means the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says a little bit before that. And file this under, I wouldn't believe the Bible said this unless the Bible said this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. If the Bible didn't say that, I wouldn't believe it. That Jesus said, not just apostles, whoever believes in me, because I'm going to the Father, because I'm sending the Spirit of God, you won't just do things I've done, you will do greater things than I've done. Because if you believe in me, if you entrust yourself to me to save you, to cleanse you, to redeem you, it's not just this legal transaction between you and God. But I will send my Spirit and He will inhabit you. The Spirit of Almighty God will make you His temple. He will make you His house and live in you. I want to I come in for a landing, and I, I just want to ask two questions. One, if you're here and you, you don't know if you're a Christian, maybe you don't know what, what you are, and, and those who would profess to be Christians, if you're here and you're not yet ready to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, he, he, here's my appeal to you. I suspect if you are even willing to walk in here and use a Sunday morning being here instead of it, you know, some awesome brunch. I probably shouldn't have floated that idea out to you, but, but, but you're here, okay? It means that at some level, spirituality must be important to you. And you've had moments in your life. I mean, I know this without knowing you. You've had moments in your life where you've had these sort of what people have called signals of transcendence. It might be when, it could be when you're hiking. It could be in a sunset where, the, where there's this sense of there is a greater spiritual truth and man, I want, to, I want to tap into it. And here's what I want to say to you. The good news of Jesus Christ is not, hey, believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven. Yes, that is the good news. But part of the good news is that when your sins are forgiven, it doesn't stop there. The God who created us wants to inhabit us. That, that what God wants for us is not like a taste of spirituality or engaged spirituality or find my spiritual side. He wants His own Spirit, the Spirit of the Creator, to make you His house. And, and that's so overwhelming, I sort of don't know where to go with it. You know, for we 
who do a great deal of what we do because we, we are afraid that at the end we will be left alone. For God, the living God, to say, I will live with you so that you are never alone and then bring you to myself. That's what Jesus offers you if you believe. But what, what about for those who believe? And I'll end with this. If you're here and you profess to be a Christian, you profess to believe in Him and that, you're, that you do have the Holy Spirit, do you have a growing sense in your life that God is with you and in you and is powerful? Or, is, or are your feelings telling you so loudly that that can't be true, that where you're landing is, I don't think it's really true? Uh, years ago, when, uh, when our youngest was much younger, and, uh, you know, if you've done babysitting or taken care of nieces or nephews or have children of your own, I think you've probably had some night where... There's a child asking you, come read this or come do this, and you're just, you're just kind of on fumes. Okay, I know I need to do this. And it was a night where Betsy called out and said, I want you to come read this thing from my book, and I'm just, just so tired. And I thought, go read. So I limp in there. Beautiful dad. All right, show me where it is. And she showed me this book, and it's called uh, Thoughts to Make the Heart Sing by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And it's just these little short entries about God. It's kind of like theology 101. And so I said, all right, let me see it. And so I opened it up, and it's a picture of mountains with clouds on them. And it says, so I'm reading this to Betsy, have you ever seen mountains be covered with clouds? Well, of course, even if the clouds cover them, the mountains are still there. Our feelings are like clouds. God and His promises are there, but sometimes our feelings cover them. But He's still there. And then Brian excused himself to blow his nose. <laughs> uh, if you belong to Jesus Christ, I want to remind you of something, and then I'm going to pray. You have been made into the house of the third person of the Trinity. He is as powerful and as glorious as God the Father and God the Son. He loves to point you to the risen Jesus Christ. And He has the power to change you from the inside to conform you to the image of Christ. He gifts you to do things supernaturally well beyond your own abilities. But He empowers you to live the Christian life and be a little Jesus to your neighbors and your friends and your enemies. Because God is with us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, take these truths and please drive them deep down in our hearts. Cost it to find fertile soil, to bear 30, 60, or 100-fold. Holy Spirit, we bless you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.